What's up, queens and royals? I'm your host, Angel, and you are listening to Awakened Love, a podcast on sex, love, and awakening. And these are the conversations to evoke the wise, wild, woke one within you. Let's go deep. What's up, beautiful awakened humans? I have an incredible inspiration here today, a dear brother of mine, Sardis Simone, who is a spiritual guide, an icon, if I don't say so myself, a meditation teacher, an international transformational speaker. He's a best-selling author and creator of the SAR Method. He has dedicated his life to helping others to live in alignment and achieve their highest potential. And he is pioneering a spiritually sassy, heart-based, healing movement rooted in science-backed, tried and true techniques in which joy and authenticity illuminate the path to enlightenment. He has his own podcast and I'm so delighted to have him here today. Thank you for being here, brother. Oh my goodness. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Such sweet words. Thank you, darling. Yeah. It's so nice, right, to hear um, your achievements when someone else reads them. I don't know. I find that. Yeah. It's also kind of like, you know, it's who, who am I right now, right? I am, you know, kind of like the consequence of all my past actions. And, and that's an interesting thing to like look through the, the, the view of impermanence. Like, yeah, right now I have all these things going and I've done all this cool shit, but will that remain? You know, will that stay? And the other day I was filming this TV show with this really big star and they asked me to kind of like read my own bio and make it like turn it up to the next degree. And it just feels really kind of like, shut the fuck up. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Give me a break. You know what I mean? Like, shut the fuck up. Like I, right now, who, who, I, who I'm not is a, like oftentimes a better question, right? Uh, mm. I'm, not, I'm not addicted to the substances I used to be. I'm not dwelling in in the lower realms of, of 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 anxiety and suicidal depression. I'm not being unkind to people. I'm not being. I'm not turning a blind eye on oppression. You know, I'm not walking over an unhoused person on the street. I'm not glamorizing uh, myself. I'm not putting people down. I'm not gossiping. I'm not lying. So therefore, what remains is what we call in Buddhist psychology is, is it the, the, the Buddha, the Buddha nature, right? The truth of who we are, um, an ever-changing, all the while that we're constantly changing, there is an essence to that truth of who we are, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's an interesting thing to like hear your own bio and be like, yeah, fuck, I've done so much. And thinking back, like, you know, I'm like now helping so many people, like they've, uh, Forbes, wrote about me being a, like a world-renowned internet, uh, spiritual teacher. Deepak calls me a radical spiritual guide. And the book has reached so many people. The, the videos have reached millions and millions and millions of people. But the, at the end of the day, I'm just a, you know, a silly, uh, sassy uh, queen that's, was, that <laughs> entered to the spiritual path out of desperation, out of complete desperation. Mm. And, and then it, it just all kind of naturally happened. You know, you kind of, as you start to feel better, you, you are able to like naturally, the natural next step is to help other people to feel better. It just becomes a sustainable cycle, right? The more you heal, the more you're able to help other people, the more you're able to help other people, the more you heal. Um, so the bio and all this introduction, I went on a little bit of a, of a, of a too much talking about this, but you know what I mean? 
Thank you for that. Though. No, not too much. I think that's so powerful and what a beautiful question you've offered to everyone listening. And I would invite people to write that down and come back to that. Like, yeah, who am I? But who am I not? You know, there's often that meditation of meditating on who am I and who am I, who am I? But beautiful, who am I not? So, so powerful. And you were talking and, and alluding a little bit to your journey and where you were. And I would love if it feels aligned for you to share a little bit about that, you know, this spiritually sassy icon, this generous being that you are today. What was your awakening process like? Holy fuck, honey. (laughs) (laughs) So here's how it kind of all started. It was the fall of 2012. And I had already been struggling with with depression. Uh, I had a, a, a big episode of suicidal depression when I was 16 years old. But that wasn't like the catalyst for me to awaken and and seek healing and seek happiness and seek service and seek uh, a mission driven and purposeful life. It was the fall of 2012. I had, I was experiencing, you know, depression, anxiety, addiction, uh, but performing really well. You know, I've always been a high performer. I've always achieved a lot. And at 23, I started this, uh, co-founded this, this international fashion magazine with a couple of friends we had all this financial support and therefore we we're able to like get in the rooms with all these very, very powerful, um, famous people in the, in the music, the arts, the fashion world, you name it. Um, and the magazine took off and it was this, this beautiful, amazing thing. I actually thought I had like made it, you know, through the, uh, through like the American dream kind of thing. Oh shit, you made it. You came here as an immigrant, you're cleaning houses and cleaning bathrooms and working in construction from a very young age. And now here you are, this big boss in the international fashion magazine in New York City, hanging out with all these people that that I've only dreamed of. Uh, But the fall of 2012 was when I uh, find out that I'm actually being bought out of the company, that I won't be part of the, the next wave of the magazine. And that was a really fucked up heartbreak. And the betrayal of that Uh, And the heartbreak of that kind of like pushed me towards seeking something else. And that something else became what my, can I actually be happy if I'm not drunk or high? Can I actually experience life without the, the highs of anxiety and the lows of depression? Who am I if I'm not my pain? Who am I if I'm not my trauma? If I don't allow my mental illness and my addiction to be my identity. Who am I? So the, that kind of question started to orient my, my mind. And I started to research and, and the research led me to, to, um, to creating this like elaborate plan of traveling to the South of India to study with these South Indian gurus. So spring of 2014 is when I was like with this elaborate plan, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to India. And that was this beautiful, elaborate plan. And then my dad comes into the house and he's like, girl, you should go to the North. You shouldn't go to the South of India. You should go to the North. You should study Buddhism. You should study with the Dalai Lama. Uh, you should go to this, this, this small village um, in Dharamsala called McLeod Gunge, where he lives in exile from Tibet. And I said, what the fuck do you know, bitch? As far as I'm concerned, you're the reason why I'm so fucked up. And <laughs> at that point I had my, the way I, the way I internalized trauma, it was that, that things were done to me, not for me. And that mm. we can develop on this later, right? It's not good and it's not real and it's not genuine to address pain as uh, for you right away. There is a relative path into absolute truth, right? 
Uh, and the mm-hmm. absolute truth, things are done for you. They're part of your spiritual curriculum. They're part of your growth. Uh, but at a relative level, um, on a karmic level, and you know, the things are done are done to you. So there's a lot of heartbreak and pain and, 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 you know, all the shit that comes with that. But anyways, I decided then to go to the South, to the North of India. I go and I study Buddhism, um, and this 10 day silent retreat and this 10 day silent retreat, I meditated on death for three consecutive days. And that was a huge awakening. I had never talked to, I had never like faced my mortality. I kind of lived my life with this like eternalist view that I was always that I was going to live a very long life. That I was I would I, there was always tomorrow. There was always another opportunity. There was always next week, next year. And so I, it just perpetuated this procrastination on well being. I can start tomorrow. I will go running tomorrow. I'll meditate tomorrow. I'll do all the things that I'm saying I'm going to do for my well being tomorrow. Uh, but death really that meditation on death really woke me up to holy shit. What if there is no tomorrow? What if all I got is today? And maybe this moment. Uh, And then I started to recognize that I had been, you know, living a life of, of, of lack of forgiveness, not forgiving myself and not forgiving others. And that perpetuated the cycle of suffering in my life, you know? Uh, So the, 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 the forgiveness aspect came with understanding mortality that we can go at any moment. And did I want to die? Do I want to die a sour death where I'm holding on to these grudges and, I have not forgiven myself or asked for forgiveness or forgiven others. You know, in Buddhist psychology, we say there's three pillars of forgiveness, right? Forgiving yourself, asking for forgiveness and forgiving others. So that was a really big moment. Like, fuck, I have, I had this massive grudge detox to do. If I'm going to die a happy death, if I'm going to meet my last moment with peace, um, with, you know, with potentially smile on my face. And through that process of forgiveness, I then start to realize that we are not our, 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 that our mistakes aren't who we are. That our mistakes are a reflection on, on our behavior and our behavior isn't the truth of who we are. So that kind of like, just, it was such a jarring understanding that like, it was something that I had, no one ever told me. They had told me that you do something bad, therefore you're a bad person. So the idea that I had now the opportunity of, of, of opening up this perspective and not only seeing myself, oh, I've harmed somebody, therefore I'm a harmful person. No, I've done something harmful. That's a reflection of my behavior, but that doesn't define who I am at the base of my being. I'm still basically good. I still have basic goodness, which is a huge concept in Buddhist psychology. And the same applies to those who've caused me harm. They've been tremendously tragic and terrifying and harmful in their behavior, but that doesn't define who they are. So that kind of opened my whole perspective. And it was almost like this load that was holding me back was, was, was dropped off. All of a sudden I could understand what the fuck presence even means, what the fuck mindfulness even means, what the fuck being in your body even means. Like, what does it mean to engage consciously and intentionally in life? I had none of these concepts were real. They had, I have been sort of a, sort of like intellectualized all of it, but it wasn't until I sat with forgiveness, with my mortality and with basic goodness that I was like, oh, wow, there's no way to be present if you are not forgiving there's no way to be present if you're not constantly in this letting go process, you know, um, mm. and, and strengthening our resilience and developing our 
developing our benevolence and developing our, our, our best qualities, right? Um, and then through that process, I, I started to understand that every trauma is, is really a blessing in drag. Um, and that really helped me to sort of like see myself in a new way and see the world in another way. Um, so the journey started and, and the, the lack of forgiveness was the culprit of my addiction, was the culprit of my anxiety, was the culprit of my depression. And I had no idea. I thought that my circumstances were, were, were the, the ones to blame for how I was feeling. Um, I had no wow. idea that our circumstances, when you become, when you are developing your mind and, and liberating yourself, they don't play a role in your internal world. Your internal world is, dictates how you engage and how you, under, how you relate to your circumstances. Um, I was kind of like all these big things were kind of landing. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh my God. Why isn't no one, why isn't this broadcasting on TV? Um, and then after that 10 day silent retreat, I uh, had the opportunity of, of, of sitting in this room uh, at the, on the, his holiness of Dalai Lama's temple. And when this saint walked through the doors and hundreds of us, maybe there's 300 of us sitting in this, in this garden and he opened the doors and came into the garden to, to speak to us. The moment that he entered the room, honey, I had this profound relaxation, this profound level of harmony in a way that I've never felt before. And I was like, what the fuck is in my water? What is in the air? What happened? Did I just have a stroke? You know, what the fuck happened in this moment that I'm all of a sudden I'm in this profound, deep, harmonious, relaxed state. And then I'm, I'm sort of like talking to people about it. And someone reflected to me, it's like someone who has a very developed mind and a very awakened heart has the capacity of changing the psychological temperature of every room they enter into. I'm getting full body chills as I'm saying this. Mm. And that was the orientation. I said, that's what I want. I want mm. that. I want to be able to walk into every room and change psychological temperature. I don't want to be the fashion cunt that I used to be, that I walked into every room and made everyone be on edge. I made mm. sure that everybody knew that I thought that they were replaceable. I never want mm. anyone to feel like they're replaceable. I never want anyone to feel like they don't belong. I never want any, anyone to feel like they don't have the same potential that I do. And that's how I was carrying myself. That's how I was living. I was hurt. Therefore, I was, I was hurting other people. Right. Um, and when we're hurt, we're actually crying out for help. Right. And I say this, I've, I've, sh I've shared this in a piece of content recently that like when, when someone's causing pain to other people, it's actually a cry for help. It's a desperate begging, please help me. But we have misinterpreted and we've seen that when someone's being harmful and causing pain, they need to be punished. We're not restoring those who, who are crying for help. We're punishing them. Um, so that moment was these two moments that was like, oh, oh my God, that's what I want. But I was still engaged with harmful behavior. Uh, I was still engaging with lies, with gossip, with drugs, with alcohol. I was still engaging um, with, with toxicity and, 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 you know, in a variety of different ways. Uh, there weren't so intense at this point. There were, there were small acts of violence towards myself and violence towards others. But there were enough to create the conditions for more of that to prevail. And then, and then I'm going to stop talking and let you ask the next question. <laughs> no, this is beautiful, my love. I'm receiving the transmission. <laughs> um, 
What's up, beautiful beings? If we're not yet friends on Instagram, then we should be. Come on over, Angelica Alana, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A, A-L-A-N-A. Lots of A's. It's the best place where we can connect more deeply if you're interested in connecting with my work, my group coaching programs, maybe having a one-to-one session. Or if you want to take my new free quiz to discover which is the dominant goddess archetype that you play into, or experience in your love and sex life. It's a lot of fun. I've never seen this put together in this way anywhere else in the world. And I found it to be such a rich source of information and a great framework for evolution in my work. I've been trying and testing this out and women have been having wild breakthroughs, realizing these ancient archetypal outlines that they may have been playing into uh, in their sex and love life. And once we see it, then we can learn to expand beyond it. So if you're interested in taking that quiz, the easiest way to do it is to come on over to Instagram, find me at Angelica Alana, Angelica with a K, and then click that link tree in the bio and you're going to be able to find the free quiz there. I can't wait to connect with you more deeply there. I'm like, I yes. Went, yes. And then, and then I said, I'm going to do a 30 day meditation retreat at a monastery with a living saint as the head of this place. And that's when I went to Nepal and I sat in these 30 days and I had an episode of psychosis. Um, and I had multiple moments of complete despair and dread, so dreadful that I, I actually like packed my bags and walked to the gates. I say, I'm leaving. I can't do this. Uh, I'm not willing to sit with my pain. I'm not willing to face my trauma. I'm not willing um, to. I'm not willing to receive a miracle. That's really what I was saying. I'm not willing to experience a miracle. I'm not worthy of it. Right? The lack of the perception that we have that we're, we're unworthy of happiness. We're unworthy of something different. We've been so colonized and so indoctrinated with the mindset of suffering and pain and chaos and misery that anything different is too far out and it's for them. They can have it, mm. not me. Um, so that was how I was feeling. But as I walked up to the gates, I had, you know, these moments of synchronicity so profound that they're, that they're so mysterious, but they communicate to such a deep part of your inner world that you can't, you you can't be oblivious to them. So I walk my ass back. I unpack my (laughs) shit again and I, I continue the practice. Right. Uh, So for the first two weeks in the monastery, I was sort of, you know, making fun of them being like, Oh my God, you guys are there. That kind of breakdown and and wildness and, 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 and wailing and howling and, and like that is for them. I, I, I'm, I'm strong. I don't have to go through that. That inability to experience these parts of myself that were that were uh, that were actually aching really badly that needed that needed to be cared for, attended to. Uh, I was neglecting, avoiding them. But entering to the third week, I was the one sobbing at breakfast, sobbing at lunch, sobbing at dinner because you're observing silence. People could only leave notes in my cushion. They could only leave notes in my, uh, on my next to my plate at lunch or dinner or breakfast, whatever. Um, so the, the whole point of the story of telling this last part of the story is that on the last day of the retreat, I, um, the last few days of the retreat, I had the opportunity of being selected to meet the guru. And I was like, what the fuck? What is this about? All these profound, really disciplined practitioners, and I'm the sloppy mess. I get called to go meet the guru. 
oh my God, am I worthy? No, I'm the, I'm the imposter. I'm the one that like is not worthy or deserving meeting the guru or having the blessing of the guru. But little did I know that that was literally that, that this saint would tell me the instructions that would later come into, into it would then be the blueprint of my life. Uh, and the instructions were, be disciplined on the path because you're going to teach. Your life will be about helping others. And I said, fuck this shit, honey. I'm in it for myself. If I could get out of these states that I'm in, if I could get transform my, my relationship to my mental illness, if I could change, if I could heal, if I could stop using and abusing and harm myself and harming others, that's all I want. It was never about like, do this work so you can be of service to the world. Um, and I shared about this a little bit yeah. earlier on. It's, it really becomes this natural next step, right? Your self-care practices, if they're, if they're not supporting you to be altruistic and, and inspired by the suffering of the world, your self-care practice are just, are just entertainment. They're just another way of you intoxicating yourself uh, with, with emotional hunger for good feelings. Um, mm. So I, I, I had this transmission with the guru and I was like, fuck, okay, oh my God. And then there was an opportunity to take refuge. And when you take refuge, you're really saying, okay, I believe that I have the state of enlightenment at the base of my being. I believe and have faith on these practices that will set me free. And I take refuge on, 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 on relying on the community and serving the community, right? Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. This is a very simplistic way of, of acknowledging the three refuges. And therefore, when you take refuge, you're also saying no to the lies. You're also saying, I'm no longer that. I'm, I'm working on, on becoming this. Uh, and when I, when I took refuge, I said, okay, if I take refuge and I'm not doing these things, I'm not abusing uh, abusing on, on these substances, I'm not harming myself or harming other people, I'm not engaging these, on these toxic behaviors, states of mind uh, and, and words and actions, um, I'm going to do it for a year. And if my life changes after a year, then I'm going to, I'm going to go on and try to fulfill the prophecy that the guru has put forth for me. And honey, that year I, I went monastery and ashram hopping for another two and a half years from there. Um, a year and a half after that, actually. So altogether it was about two and a half years of deep, deep study and deep, deep contemplation and reflection and development uh, and my life radically changed. I actually was then able to to be a source of, of, of wisdom for people. I actually became a source of relaxation for people. I actually started to glimpse at the potential of entering into a room and relaxing people, non-verbally. When, we, when I was able to non-verbally communicate relaxation and ease, um, I knew that the work had, had, been, had, had done me a good number. Um, so, and then the, ha- the rest kind of just like happened. I, I kept, you know, traveling, went back to India um, another like five times and just kept studying and deepening my practice and deepening my wisdom and, and really, di- really, really disciplined to the work and then became fully sober. You know, I'm, I'm four years and two months fully sober now. Uh, no drugs or alcohol. It's not California sober. This is legit. No, nothing that will, uh, intoxicate the mind, um, and, and then it just kind of all happened really fast. Book, teaching here, traveling there, speaking at this, to these people, work with this huge celebrity and doing that. And it's kind of just all happened. It's literally the consequence of all these benevolent choices supports a life of abundance, a life of service and abundance, right? Um, so that's kind of how it all happened. But hmm. it wasn't too long ago that I was, um, you know, debilitated by, by suicidal depression, you know, and caught hmm. up in, 
in, in, in, in, in addiction. Uh, mm. So yeah, that's a little bit, <laughs> oh my gosh. that's a tiny little glimpse. Yeah. <laughs> so powerful. My love, you used a phrase that I'm really curious about and I really love the way that you stated it. You said, change my relationship to my mental health or was it, what, what was the exact phrase? It's, it, I mean, we realize that the, the, the spiritual path is really about relating, that mm. everything is a relationship, right? How do I relate to my thoughts? Uh, our thoughts and our, and our feelings and our emotions, they aren't harmful. They are not essentially, they're not inherently harmful, you know? What harms us is how we relate to them, you know? Um, everything is about a relationship, you know, so on the mm. spiritual path, you're learning to relate to everything differently. You're recognizing that, you know, there is a dark cloud and it's a dark moment, you know, and it's a terrifying moment. It's a harmful experience, a very uncomfortable experience, right? But how I relate to it will, will dictate my next moment. You know, we know mm. through scientific research that, that emotions, uh, pleasant or unpleasant ones, they last for only 90 seconds, physiologically, right? Chemically, biologically in the body. But the problem that perpetuates suffering is we relate to them with pain. It's the stories that we tell ourselves. And in Buddhist psychology, it's also known that feelings arise first and then thoughts populated and then action is, is instigated and activated. Um, so when we are able to, to, to be with the feeling and recognize that those feelings have these hardwired thoughts and these hardwired thoughts have these hardwired actions, we're able to sort of stop the momentum, the momentum of pain, the momentum of harm, mm. the momentum of neglect. And we're able to take a deep breath and come back into our heart space, to our spiritual heart and, and, and be with our Buddha nature, right? With the, our basic goodness and then relate to it from that place, right? Relating with tenderness, with care, with patience, with sweetness, with compassion, mm. with care. Um, but everything is about a relation. Everything is about relationship. It's all about, re- it's how you relate. How do I relate to my trauma dictates who I become, right? How I relate mm-hmm. to, to a traumatic experience dictates my next moment. How I relate to my lack of forgiveness dictates uh, my next moment. So it's all this, the, the, com- the, the combination of, 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 of relating in a skillful and, and beneficial way. Yeah, so powerful. I think that was one of the most um, revolutionary realizations that I had on my own path was this idea that shame or pain or trauma itself isn't quote unquote a problem to fix. It's mm-hmm. my ability to relate to these things. And it's just mm-hmm. such a, a powerful shift. You've also talked a lot about forgiveness. And mm-hmm. I wonder for people listening who may desire to forgive themselves or may even be questioning why should I forgive someone else that's really hurt them. Could you speak mm-hmm. a little bit to that? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I could speak for hours. <laughs> my entire work, my entire work is has has been based on teaching people the importance of forgiveness, right? At the most foundational level, forgiving is your choice to stop the cycle of pain in your life, right? And then at a deeper level, to forgive yourself or to forgive others is about releasing the desire to punish. Mm. So when you're saying I forgive myself, I I release the desire to punish myself. When I say I forgive you, motherfucker, who've caused me so much pain, I release the desire to punish you because I recognize that you're causing pain because you are in pain. 
So why would I add more pain to your pain? My job as a spiritually sassy being and as someone who's on, who's, who's on a genuine spiritual path, I recognize that, that, that you are in desperate pain. So I don't want to add more pain to your pain. And then at a deeper level, at another level, there's so many layers of truth to forgiveness, right? You're also, when you're forgiving them, you're giving yourself a gift, and that gift, it's like you're you're the you're the eviction notice to that person who you've allowed to that experience that you've allowed to live rent free in your mind. So mm. I forgive you. It's like eviction notice has been placed. You have 24 hours to get the fuck out of my mind. You know, <laughs> like that. So, so you're good. you're really you're really entering to that place of of like enough is enough. You know, and and lack of forgiveness perpetuates in so many areas of our lives, right? Our ability to forgive, uh, it's it's directly connected to to our to our to the depth of our presence, right? And uh, the depth of our presence is directly connected to our ability to give new meaning to the past. So mm-hmm. I hope you guys wrote this shit down because once you recognize this, <laughs> these pillars, and the way to to have a, a, a deep presence, an abiding presence, you have to have a concentrated mind. I think in the world of, 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 of you know, in the spiritual world out there of, uh, I call it bubblegum spirituality or sugar rush spirituality. Um, there isn't such, there isn't such emphasis on concentration and concentration is the foundation for healing. Concentration is the catalyst for any deep transformation to happen, right? And the depth of your concentration allows you to access your heart. When you access your heart, you're able to give new meaning to your past. And because we're giving meaning to everything at every moment, and a lot of the meaning that we're giving to our our experiences and to what we're seeing and the people that we're relating with um, is oftentimes based on our conditioning and how deeply colonized our minds are. Uh, So when you're wanting to give new meaning to your past, you have to establish deep concentration. And concentration happens when you intimately experience the breath in the body. Hmm. There's no other way to do it across every ancient mystical tradition. The ones that have an unbroken lineage, right? I studied an unbroken lineage. This lineage what, we're, what I mean about an unbroken lineage is the same family recipe that the Buddha cooked up 2,600 years ago has been studied and practiced and, 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 and shared unbroken, right, for all these years. And that's what I study and that's what I need you all to study. And the, the baseline of it was concentration. Concentration mm-hmm. as the foundation for anything that you're, that you're wanting to, 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 to develop, Right. And so there's no development on the spiritual path if, if you don't have foundation of concentration. And also people might say, oh, no, I, I talk to my therapist and I do this and I do that. And I, and I write these things and I speak about that and I do these ceremonies and I take these psychedelics and I do this, blah, 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 whatever. All that stuff in my vocabulary, my view, they're all sort of like kind of like the next step. Right. Unless you have concentration, everything that you do is just kind of miss. It's just like rearranging furniture in your house, mm-hmm, right? And, mm-hmm. and you may go into these, these ceremonies and these rituals and do these things and talk to somebody and all this stuff, all, all very helpful. Um, 
But without concentration, you're just rearranging the furniture and you're pushing them against the wall. So all of a sudden you have a little bit of room to move around and you feel like, oh, I feel a little bit lighter. I feel less cluttered, less chaotic, less noisy inside. But as you start to engage in harmful behaviors again, as you start to allow your your patterns to kind of like uh, come back, uh, because they're so ingrained, right? Those neural pathways are so developed uh, that it's not one ceremony or one ritual, one conversation that they get they, they get that they get really rewired at a physiological mm-hmm. level. Um, it's with concentration that you change the neural pathways and you establish new neural connections, ones that will help you to support a new way of, of, of of, of seeing yourself in the world. Um, so think about it like that. Think about it like, do you have the base? Do you, do you start your day and do you prioritize concentration or you're multitasking? You know, that's mm-hmm. a question to ask people all the time you know, like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful what you're saying. I think I've shared this before this idea that Jamie Wheel expresses around particularly ceremony and psychedelic work, if you are not bringing the quote-unquote gold back and shipping it, what is the point? And what I'm hearing you say, and I think I'm getting it right, is that unless you have this base level capacity for stillness and concentration, it doesn't matter what we do, how deeply can we really integrate it and, and ship the gold into that altruistic nature that you've also been talking about? Mm, say it, honey. Say it loud and clear. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Because a concentrated mind is a happy mind and a happy mind is an altruistic mind. And an altruistic mind supports you to have a genuine happy life. Mm. Uh, So that's kind of like the baseline of everything that I teach, you know. We were talking at dinner, um, I think it was a couple of months ago when we had Brazilian food together, about the inherent aliveness in nothingness or in stillness, which kind of, I think, ties into this idea of concentration. And so for those of you who are not meditators, maybe you just join the ride for this. But those people who have maybe been in the practice a little longer, I think will find this level of conversation really interesting. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit to that? I know it's hard quite hard to put words to this, but I I think it's a beautiful uh, conversation and topic. Here's how I'm going to go about it. Okay. It's (laughs) because there's so many ways to go about this and we don't have a lot of time. So I kind of just want to make sure that people are able to, to rest with some degree of understanding of what that is. It's when you have a practice of concentration, you're relating to the inner noise a little bit different. When you relate to the inner noise a little bit different, then the mind naturally enters into a more silent state. In that silent state, this is with years of practice, in the silent state, then the silence speaks to you. The silence within your being has these essential qualities. And these essential qualities, one of them is joy. Um, so that aliveness, that joyfulness, that, that flamboyantness, that, 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 that bright, vivid uh, quality that people see in me often, and, they, and they, 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 they are like, I want that. I'm like, it's inside of you, honey. It's at the base of your being. It's right there in the silence of your being. The problem is you're so scattered. You're not willing to, to, to release the, the scatteredness and the multitaskingness uh, way of being. To, to experience the silence inside of yourself. So I hope I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to, to the, to the direction oh, so that you perfectly. wanted. Um, yeah, so that's exactly it's, it. So it's really about like touching base to that with, with that silence inside. And, uh, and the silence speaks to you, you know, and it's in that silence that you have access to, to the wisdom council, right? To all the benevolent beings who are looking out for us, who are supporting us, who are, 
um, guiding us, you know. And there's something kind of edgy that I often say. There's two sides to this. One, you have to engage in deep practice of stillness so you can access the silence, so you have access to the wisdom council. Simultaneously, uh, when you're doing that, you also have to make sure that you are you are uh, uh, releasing the your lack of authenticity, that you are literally uh, eradicating and deleting all the ways that you pretend that you enter the world as this coherent act and you are really becoming uninhibited. Because in the literature, it says that um, those who are uninhibited have the trust of the gods. Mm. Um, and that's so wild to think that those who are inhibited, the gods are bored with them. That, the, that these benevolent, <laughs> these wise beings are kind of like, whatever, girl. Like, the more that you're too boring, I don't have time for you. That the more freaky, the more wild, the more expressive, the more joyful, the more alive you are in your authenticity, in your joy, the more you have support of these, of the wisdom council. So simultaneously, right? You can't just be, um, you can't just be a, 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 a uninhibited without stillness, without silence inside of you. Uh, but you have to sort of mingle both of these things together. And in that, in that, in that perfect intersection of being completely uninhibited and having, and having taste the nectar of stillness, then you're entering the world as a permission slip. You're non-verbally communicating to everybody that they too have access to that, that they too can be free and happy uh, and live a life of, of, of purpose, uh, that they have something mm. to contribute, right? Uh, mm. So I hope that's that's kind of answering to that question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so powerful. It's hard to put words to these things, and you did such a beautiful job. I'm, I'm really glad I asked. And what you were talking about there really feels like it touches on this idea. I think it's called Trans Fallacy by a guy called Ken Wilburn, and he talks about how as we go through the process of awakening, by the time you get towards an awakened being, although I believe enlightenment is kind of a process that's ever unfolding, right? But these these beings that have really gone through that process that you're, you're sharing about, the stillness and the inhibition, the releasing of inhibitions is he says that the people at the beginning of the journey can actually look similar to the people toward the end of the journey to the untrained eye. And it will feel different because their wildness, their freedom will have a different quality to it. But he talks about this interesting thing where you go through um, almost inhibition to clear out and kind of come into that place of stillness, but you pop out on the other side and there's so much freedom and expression and wildness that to the untrained eye or better than I feeling sense might seem the same, but it feels totally different. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what you're touching on. Yeah. Oh my God. So true. And I was just talking to my boyfriend about this the other day, the uninitiated eye, the untrained eye um, is, you know, we, uh, it's such an interesting thing because in Buddhist psychology, we say that we can't trust our perceptions, that we always have to ask, what's the truth? What is the mm-hmm. truth? What is the deeper levels mm-hmm. of truth? What else is here to be experienced? What else is here to be, to be, um, to be experienced? Uh, what are the deeper and deeper levels of truth here? Um, and it's so incredible. I, I love what you're saying. Thank you for that. Mm, yeah, it's not mine, but it is powerful. I thought it was really interesting and it sounded like you were touching on that. Mm-hmm. You did mention your boyfriend. I would love to ask a little bit about Love. Um, You've spoken a lot about your deep roots in Buddhism. And Mm -hmm. I wonder what has Buddhism or Buddhist teachings taught you about love? Kind of an interesting (laughs) question to ask because um, 
there isn't much from my perspective about uh, relating romantically to a partner in the scriptures. Okay, I just have to say this. I literally yeah. edited the question just before we started, but previous to that, the question I was going to ask is, in from my perspective, there's not much in ancient texts and spiritual <laughs> literatures about love. And I was like, you know what? I'm that not going to lead true. him because maybe that's not true. He's he's done so much study. Yeah. Okay, so interesting. Same yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you're you're right on the you're right on the money, honey. Uh, so because of that, what can I say about this? What's the wisest thing I could say to that? I mean. Give me one second. Yeah. Um, okay, so because I'm such a sort of like, you know, I'm so non-traditional and so wild in, in my expression of this lineage, but I do follow very restricted guidelines and the things that I study and what I hear, listen, read. Um, so with this in mind, we are then then having to to relate to our partner romantic partner, intimacy with deep presence, deep presence. And like what's, what comes up that is important to say is that the word I love you in, in Buddhism means I wish you to be happy. So mm. when people are coming together, you know, um, in, in relationship is, is, is there compassion and is there love? And what does that mean? Like compassion at its, at its truest meaning means I wish to alleviate your suffering. I will do whatever I can to support you to be free of suffering. And to say, I love you is to say, I, I will do whatever it takes to support you to be happy. Um, and then it's a dance, right? It's a dance. It's a fucking wild, beautiful, delicious dance. Um, so in relating uh, romantically, you really are faced with all of your blind spots you really are faced with so many opportunities to, to expand and stretch. Oh my God, stretching so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think at the base level, when you're, when, when people are sort of questioning their, their romantic partner, um, just see if their orientation is compassionate and is loving. And if it's compassionate and loving is to really, uh, moon just arrived here. And, Hi, um, yeah. our listeners know moon. She was our very first episode. Yeah, Moon and That's Ben just are system. walking by. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're walking by my patio. But <laughs> it's just to check in if the, if you have if you are orienting your mind and your heart and your words and your actions towards supporting the the alleviation of their suffering and supporting uh, their happiness. Right. So working with mm. that, and and mm. then you know one thing that I could say um, that why it, it's working is we have shared goals. We're both wanting to alleviate not only each other's sufferings and only support each other's happiness, but we want to do that for the world. My boyfriend's written four books, has taught all over the world. He's just like this iconic bodhisattvas, the, the terminology that we use in the literature. It's like these radical people who are devoted to becoming saints in this lifetime. And everyone listening, you may say, oh, fuck being a saint. I want to be a rock star. But being a saint... <laughs> And in the expression of a rock star is what you should be thinking and wanting to be, right? Uh, your expression of saintliness, of saintlyhood can look very wild, can look very flamboyant, mm. right? So like that. Mm. Um, so what we share 
is is the is the desire to help all people. What we share is 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 understanding that it is our responsibility that the pain of the world is our responsibility. And that's a very big aspiration. That's a very big goal. So we're able to go through our entire days. Even this morning, his assistant was over at the house and they're 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 creating this whole wellness program that we're going to be teaching, that I'm going to be a guest teacher at this uh, uh, unhoused uh, shelter, uh, shelter for the unhoused here in, uh, in California, in West, in West LA, where I live. Um, so it, it, if you have that shared goal of, of, of alleviate each other's sufferings, of supporting each other's growth and, and, and happiness, and then you have this, the ultimate goal, which is to then help the world, um, to alleviate the suffering, support the happiness of the world, then I think you're in a really good foundation. Then I think everything mm. else is feedback. I think everything else is feedback to your glitch, to your to your blind spots, and then everything else is just like a, an opportunity to stretch wider and 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 you know like that. And you know, and and one thing that the Buddha did say is that, and I'm, I'm misquoting this, is that when you meet your partner, the one that you are meant to be in sacred communion with. This is in the literature. That's why there's so it's so small. Uh, it says that it, you won't have this. Oh my god, this is my partner. Oh my god, it won't feel like that. It's gonna feel very relaxing. And that that has been oh wow. When I met Ben, it was it wasn't this. It was like it was like a long exhale instead of this shallow, you know, restricted breath. You know, that we think that that when we meet that person, the one that will support, that will be like our, our life partner, we often may think that is meant to be this overwhelming butterflies and it's just meant to be relaxed. That's what the literature, the, actually not the literature, but the actual uh, 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 scriptures say. Mm, it's fascinating because that runs right alongside relationship psychology. A lot of what you said, right, is this idea that we can both be, yes, autonomous and engaged with our own practice and healing, but to see our partner sometimes in their triggers as a, you know, a wounded child and be willing to give them the gifts of healing. So the gifts of grace and forgiveness and patience and all of those things. And if both partners are doing that for one another, as you were kind of saying, like, supporting each other's growth, supporting each other to heal, supporting each other to up level, then you have this energy of giving and generosity. Mm-hmm. And then what it also says in, in a lot of the relationship psychology literature is that once you reach that place, the natural next step will be off that solid foundation to then give those gifts to the world to then support more people from the basis of your relationship. So it's pretty amazing that um, that's also as far back as these sort of ancient scriptures. I love that. Thank you so much for saying that. And one thing I also want to say, it's like, I want everybody to understand that we come into this life with this like karmic garden, right? And in the garden of our mind, we have these neurotic seeds and we have these inline seeds, Every, every person, every experience, every relationship, everything that we engage with, it's, it's either watering the seeds of, of, of neurosis and suffering or watering the seeds of enlightenment and benevolence and grace and awakening, right? Um, and I'm giving a very simplistic teaching and I'm only giving a very uh, one specific part of this teaching, right? Because it's, it's when we're, when, we're, when we're speaking about the, the karmic garden of our mind, there's so many layers. And, and for the in, it, with the interest of time, I want to just give this this tiny little bit. 
that every person at every exchange, are they watering uh, the seeds of enlightenment at the base of your being or they're watering the seeds of neurosis? Because when you and I sit together, when I am having dinner with you at our favorite Brazilian restaurant here, you are the sunlight, the correct amount of sunlight and the correct amount of, of water to the seeds of, of wisdom in my being. You are the correct amount of sunlight and the correct amount of water to the seeds of joy at the base of my being. And I hope I'm the same for you. Oh, um, yes, honey. <laughs> that's right. So, and we do that for each other. So we are being gardeners. We're, we're, we're these master gardeners to each other's gardens. And then when you may be engaging in, in, in a romantic relationship with another person and they are the ones who are watering the seeds of neurosis, the seeds of pain and suffering and lack of forgiveness... And, and all the stuff that we don't want, all the stuff that we know that is, isn't really who we are, but we've allowed to be who we are. So pay attention. Like, mm. who are the benevolent gardeners in your life? Who are the ones who are bringing the correct amount of sunlight, the correct amount of water to the seeds of, 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 of freedom, of enlightenment mm. in the garden of your life? Who are the ones who are watering the seeds of, of patience and mm. kindness and generosity in the garden of your, of your, of your mind? That should be also a really, a really, uh, a really big uh, orientation and just a level of, of like initiation to know, you know, am I that for them or are they them for me? Do we have this sort of mutual gardening agreement to each other um, <laughs> or, 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 or am I just this trigger bomb for this person? They're just this trigger bomb for me. If that's the case, then both of you need to just take a fucking pause Go on a silent retreat, recalibrate, because it, it may just be sort of like a rough patch. And you may just have to do a lot of the weeding, you know. You may just have to go in the garden of your mind and just weed out all the weeds that are cluttering the seeds of enlightenment. Because they might actually be watering the seeds of, of, of patience and kindness and generosity in the garden of your, of your mind. But those seeds are, there's they're so much, so many weeds cluttering their growth that they can blossom that the little baby sprout starts to sprout and there are more of the old weeds that are from your side are, are, are cluttering their growth. So that's why I said that there's so, there's so many layers to understanding this yeah. psychological botany that I'm trying to, to educate you on. Uh, but not you, but the audience, because I know you already know the shit. Uh, but you, you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm still it's getting like, an education, honey. Forever student. I am willing right. to be educated. Dish it. <laughs> so you know I mean? Yeah, same here. You know, same here. Forever student. Always swapping roles. Teacher student, teacher student, teacher student. Every step of the way. Um, but just noticing that, right? Like addressing, thinking about about the garden of your mind um, as like a legit garden and, and tending to those seeds um, every moment that you can, right? Like mm. that. So powerful. It's just such a central, it's simple and yet perhaps not always easy. And although the worthiest quest of our life, right, to just tend to that garden and, and what a beautiful thing to, to be willing to water the seeds of enlightenment in someone, mm. even though it's risky, it's vulnerable. We don't know if they'll water our seeds back and that's not mm. why you do it, right? We have to be willing, as you say, to water those seeds for others, unsure if it will come back to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, it's such a brave and But it will, thing to it will. It comes back tenfold. Yeah, It comes course. back tenfold. Like yes. it's have unwavering truth that altruistic tendencies will support a level of abundance that you never could have imagined. You know, I'm yes. living out such a wild season of my life right now that I'm like, 
this is fucking crazy. And then people ask me, what is it? And I'm like, I, there's, there's many things, you know, concentration, but then also a blessing factory state of being. It's just constantly blessing people. Anywhere I go, I'm like, maybe happy, maybe happy, maybe happy, maybe happy. Just constantly engaging with people with presence, with kindness, and just constantly blessing them. And the blessing that we're offering them, they may not see with the eyes in their face, uh, with the, the, the eyes in their face. They may not hear with the with the with their, you know, uh, physiologically here, but it's deeply felt on a spiritual level. So you are being a gardener to everyone's uh, garden as you're blessing each other uh, in this way. And, and don't restrict your blessings. Don't be, mm. don't be, don't be rigid and greedy with your blessings. Don't be mm. scarce with your blessings. Offer blessings to everyone, everywhere you go. And just notice how your life radically changes. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. I feel that yeah. in the depths of my being, my love. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have time for one more question before we move into some rapid fire questions. Oh, shit. Um, and it's, <laughs> oh, shit. Um, uh, it's, and it's an important one. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to ask, uh, I don't feel as though the LGBTQIA plus community is necessarily well represented as far as we look at our world's spiritual leaders and teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. if that is a fair assumption, 100%. why do you think that is? And, and how can myself and everyone listening support changing that? Is mm-hmm. there something we can do? Yeah, there absolutely always a hundred percent. So yes, it is completely mis uh, under, underrepresented and, and I think instead of saying, why is that? I ask, I often don't ask, don't work with questions like why, because why perpetuates intellectual um, mm. understanding. And I'm all about mm. solutions and actualization versus mm. intellectualization. Um, mm. So I always ask how, right? So how could I be part of the evolution of society? Mm. How could I help to, to support queer, black, brown um, uh, people of color as, as leaders, I think look in your own mind, mm. you know, I think look in your own mind and the way to do it is quite simple. When you see a black or brown or, 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 uh, an indigenous, uh, or a person of color, um, walking towards you, what comes up in your mind? Mm. Is there a slight bit of racism? Is there a slight bit of like, Oh, I'm better than them. Uh, they're worse. They don't have the same potential that I do. I, I could become free and I'm worthy of this, but, but they're not. Um, is there the mm. slightest bit of racism? And it's interesting mm. when I bring this up to, to cis and straight and white people who make up the vast majority of my audience and all my platforms. I have a lot of very brave white people and a, very, and a, and a lot of very fragile white people and straight white folks cis straight white folks who are not willing to to sit with that question and their immediate response is like oh i'm not the person who's who's saying racist homophobic things to them i'm not the person who's saying who's throwing things and killing them that's right thank thank god you're not because if you were a bitch i'll I'll be at your door (laughs) (laughs) uh you get you get blocked out of this community i'm just kidding i'm just being sassy right now um uh no everyone is welcome especially those who are, who are, who are causing tremendous pain. Uh, I, I, I got you. I can hold you. But here's the thing for those of us 
who are willing to, to look in our minds, right? Is, is there homophobic tendencies in your mind? Is there racist tendencies in your mind? When you see a queer person walking fully expressed, do you judge them? Slightly bit. Do you look them up and down and do you say, ugh. And do you see a black body walking towards you and you lock your car? Do you pull your bag closer to your body? Do you look over your shoulder when you're walking um, in, a, in a neighborhood that's, that's predominantly uh, black, brown? These are the ways that you're part of the problem. These are the ways that you're, that you're creating violence in the world. These are the ways that you're becoming a radio wave of violence. And you may be the person who's going to the monastery, who's doing the retreats, who is practicing, who's listening to your podcast, who's a, a student in my school, who's doing the stuff. But if those things are still perpetuating in your mind, and you may not even be aware that they are because um, you're not asked to really look in your mind. You're not asked to really put up a mirror and get to know your mind, right? And, and, and another thing too, it's like, is everyone in your circle same as you? Are they all straight and white? Um, or are they a black, brown, indigenous, you know, all sorts of, all kinds of, of, of colors and all shades of sexuality. Are they, um, are you, do you have these people in your circle? Because if you don't, unfortunately, there's no easy way to put it, but you're part of the problem. You're, you're again being violent, unintentionally violent. So anyone listening, and if your circle is made up of, of everyone that's cis and, and straight um, uh, and white, then you have to step out of your circuit. You have to step out of your, of your, of your, of your circle of people and, and spend time with people who look nothing like you, who like nothing that you do, who do things radically different that you do. That experience will liberate you to a degree much deeper than any sort of ceremony, any sort of psychedelic trip, any sort of uh, meditation, any sort of prayer, any sort of whatever, that experience will illuminate a, a, such a, such a, a profound dysfunctional part of your mind. And that dysfunctional part of your mind is oriented how you relate to the person at the grocery store, is relating mm -hmm. to the person who cleans your house, is relating to the person that's unhoused in, in your corner, in the corner of your, of your, of your street is relating to that dysfunctional part of your mind is well, once you, once you're able to look at it, you will notice that that dysfunction has actually been sort of a prevalent leakage in every area of your life. But it was so subtle that you didn't even take of it. You didn't even, you weren't even aware of it. Uh, so that's, that's my, that's my little uh, bit in that. Um, mm. It's just decolonizing of the mind of homophobic mm. tendencies, of racist tendencies. And here's the thing. You're speaking to someone who's a person of color and queer, and I had homophobic and racist tendencies myself. So mm -hmm. for someone who's, who is white and, and, and cis and heteronormative to say, I don't have it, that's the biggest lie ever. Uh, so yes. look at the, check your bullshit. Check your bullshit. So sit with that stuff and just be like, oh, wow, I actually don't have any queer friends that I can call on the phone. I actually don't have a black person that I can call on the phone. I actually don't have a brown body that I can call on the phone. I actually don't have anyone from that, from that, from that, from that, from that part of society calling me for, for calling me because they, they can trust me. So if that, if that lack of trust uh, is happening, if you, if they don't see you as a trustworthy person, then that's your work. That's you. Mm -hmm. That's your entire work. Go at that for years. Mm -hmm. 
And mm. that will illuminate so fucking much in your life that you'll be like, oh shit, I've been going to these, doing all these things in all these ways, but every place I went, it was straight and white. Wow. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Fuck, okay, boom, got it. And when you do that, my love, you it will be so life-changing. And then you're going to remember that moment for the rest of your life. And it's going to be, it's going to be challenging. Your nervous is going to be shocked and shocked. But that process of recalibration, that process of, of recentering will illuminate. It will literally be like the brightest. The, the, it would, it will just radically change your life. You know, mm, I hope that's yeah. helpful. So helpful. And I, I can't remember who said it, uh, I'll try and find it and put it in the show notes. But someone once said that was really powerful for me on my own quest in this journey and understanding that was racism, transphobia, homophobia has been placed inside of us by society, each one of us. And so can we take responsibility for that without getting so caught up in the ego and the identity that I'm not racist, mm-hmm. I'm not homophobic, that over-attachment with who I think I am and mm-hmm. how the people are going to see me. And, and also that like unwillingness to be courageous and vulnerable and really just own as you very bravely did and as I also have witnessed in myself. It's not that we're inherently wrong, but we live in a racist, transphobic, homophobic society. Of course, those conditionings have been placed inside of us. And it's each of our job, as you so eloquently expressed, to recognize that courageously, be willing to look at it because it's ugly. If we see ourselves as a good person, we don't want to see that in ourselves. We have to be willing to look at it and say, wow, that's in me. Mm -hmm. Oh my Lord. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what can I do? Okay. Mm -hmm. So powerful. Watering those seeds, as you said. That's right. Oh my God. Thank you so much, my love. So powerful. Are you ready for rapid fire? No, not at all. It's my least Perfect. favorite style. Let's go. I'll try. Right where, right where, where I want you. I'm kidding. Um, okay. So what book or books do you gift or recommend to people the most? The book that I recommend to people the most is uh, In Love with the World. It's a book by Mingyur Rinpoche. Someone comes to you and they're feeling really down, but you can only give them one piece of advice. What do you say? How about a deep breath? Mm. <laughs> What's the most important thing for successful relationships, in your opinion? Compromise. Mm. If you could be any animal, which animal would you be? A tiger. Yes, honey, I see that. Mm-hmm. If you could have a superpower, what superpower would you have? Shit, that's a good one. Uh, patience. Mm. You know what I thought of too? patience. Uh. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good one. I need some of that. I was going to say when you were talking about changing the temperature of the room, but you probably, you already have that superpower. I uh, have, I have to say, I'm very, I'm very happy that what I've been able to cultivate inside of me to just being able to enter a room and, you know, it's not every day. Oh my goodness. And some days I'm, I can't even be in public because I'm, I'm, my temperature is so fucking wild. <laughs> But mo- I, I know how to get back to that place and how to activate that, that, mm. that ability inside of me. Mm. But patience, Love I want that. patience. I want superpower. I want, to, I want to have the patience to be a superpower. I just want to be patient with everyone and, and everything and myself included. Mm. What's the best sex advice you've ever received? <laughs> mm. Best sex advice I've ever received. Or worst. <laughs> well, one thing, okay, this is kind of a pivot, but just kind of like have sex sober. 
if you've been so, having someone who's mm. constantly having sex intoxicated, even with a little joint or just a glass of wine or just a shot of tequila, whatever, have sex sober. F- smell the smells, taste the sweat. Yeah. You know, like engage with all of the parts of of the sexual experience. Sober, lucid. You know. Mm. Yes. If you could take only one spiritual practice or tool with you to a deserted island, what would it be? What would it be? Um, I think a, a shamatha, a, a calm abiding, a concentration practice, you know, mm. just to like concentrate the mind so much that I'm able to, um, you know, open myself to, to seeing myself for the, the truth of who I am and for, for the true nature of reality. Mm. What's your favorite thing that you own? What is the favorite thing that I own? Fuck. Okay, so this is favorite thing that I own right now uh, is that I just got is a Rick Owens tank top. Oh my god, I love Rick Owens. That's I mean. <laughs> uh, something you believe is true that other people might think is crazy. That everyone's is innately good. Everyone with no mm. exception. Everyone's mm. innately good. I have, people have a lot of hard time when I tell them that even those people who are in, in maximum, secu- mass, maximum security prison, they also have the same benevolence that you and I do. Um, mm. People are like, no, but it's true. Mm. I feel that. If you could eat one meal before you die, what would it be? Pão de queijo. <laughs> oh my gosh, pão de queijo. We ate a lot of those. Um, <laughs> yes. Last one. If there was a universal answering machine and you could leave a 15 second note on it that everyone in the world was going to hear today, a few words or sentences, what would you say? Oh, that's good. Forgiving them is a gift to yourself. Mm. That's it. Forgiving them Bless. is a gift to yourself. Yeah. So powerful. I truly wish that all hearts and ears could hear that and feel that today. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that our listeners could. Thank you so much for your time, for your energy, for your wisdom, for your love, and just for who you are. Thank you, my love, so much. Thank you, guys. Uh, and check out the Spiritually Sassy School, everyone. Uh, yes, where can people find you? Yes, uh, on Instagram, uh, on TikTok. And um, I invite everybody to check out the Spiritually Sassy School. It's a place, uh, it's our very own app that we have all my practice, all the course meditations, all the things are all in this one place. And you have access to this incredible community of spiritually sassy warriors. And it's incredible to see how like profoundly vulnerable and profoundly inspiring that community is. People from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a feature in the app that allows you to see who's around you, people who live near you. So you can actually meet people in real life. So that's been an incredible thing to see people meeting each other in real life. Mm, yeah. Yes, so the link is yes, in my IG bio uh, for everything. What's your IG name where people can uh, find you? Sa Di Simone. S A H D S I M O N E. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. That's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for gifting me with your most precious resource, your time, attention, and your energy so that we can continue to awaken together and to elevate the level of consciousness on this planet to ensure that we are all thriving in love and sex in the way that we all so richly deserve and that is so possible for each of us. And if you want to connect with me and my work more deeply, I would love to see you over at Instagram at Angelica Alana, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A-A-L-A-N-A. Lots of A's. (laughs) 
And there you can find that free quiz to discover which of the goddess archetypes is most dominant in your love and sex life. You can apply for the group coaching programs, which are starting in September, book in a one-to-one session, or just see more of what I do. And as always, if you have feedback, questions, and comments, that's the best place that you can share them. I'd love to hear from you. Have a beautiful week and we'll connect real soon.